Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Salatu wa salamu alayki ya Sayyidi ya Rasulullah Salatu wa salamu alayki ya Sayyidi ya Rasulullah Salatu wa salamu alayki ya Sayyidi ya Rasulullah Welcome everyone back to Sunday night at the Majlis, alhamdulillah Last week we finished the uh, paper that we were reading together on the qualities of true shaykhs uh, by Imam al-Dardir, Abu al-Barakat radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa nafanallahu bih uh, and this week we move on to a new topic Alhamdulillah we're uh, As you know probably We've entered now into the month of Rabi al-Awwal Or Rabi al-Anwar The blessed month of the birth of the Prophet And so our goal for the beginning of this month Was to release the text that we were able to release on the website And that is a collection of 40 hadith Taken from the Shama'il of Imam At-Tirmidhi And uh, you may recall that we did the Shama'il of Imam At-Tirmidhi in its entirety During the pandemic when we were still in Zoom only And uh, alhamdulillah that was uh, a blessing Prior to that when we had the space in orange We also did a book called Al-Khulasa uh, By Imam Al-Kattani That was a summary of the Shama'il and so having done the summary, having done the actual book in its entirety, alhamdulillah, felt that it would be useful to make a collection of 40 hadith taken from the Shama'il so that that could be um, kind of like part of the reason why we study the Shama'il is so that we can know certain descriptions of the Prophet wasallam, and that can be a means by which we improve our own action. Um, and so, uh, the reason why the 40 is good is because it makes it easier to review it. The actual collection is 415 hadith. So having 40 to go through obviously is much easier than 415. And it makes it so that we can review it quickly. As we've said many times, uh, part of why the Shema'il are so important and part of why knowing the Prophet ﷺ is so important which of course is funny to say as Muslims I mean obviously knowing the Prophet ﷺ is important right but part of why it's so important is because it gives us the standard for our own actions and it gives us the standard for the actions that we expect from uh, people that we look up to in terms of like religious knowledge and learning and practice and so on so it gives us a standard by which to look at other people and not that we should be judging them but yani, some judgments are put in your face they're not that you are looking for them they're just put right in front of you so you're kind of like oh okay um, so knowing the Prophet gives us that standard most importantly for ourselves one of the brothers that I, I sent this to over the over the last couple of days he sent me a couple of different hadith and he's like man this one's hard or this one really is so difficult look at the way he was sallallahu alaihi wasallam it's so beautiful and you know uh, that's what we want to be able to do we want to be able to reflect upon these things so that being said alhamdulillah if you want to follow along you can go to the website www.themejlis.us you can look under the publications tab and you'll find there uh, the publication for the 40 hadith. There may be some typos in this. I was trying to get it out on time. Forgive me. I will read the introduction. And then I will read the senate. And then inshallah after that uh, we might have time to break from Maghrib. Uh, and then we'll move on from there inshallah. So uh, before we do so, maybe it's good to say. 
many Muslims throughout history were uh, were and are accustomed to celebrating the birth of the Prophet in the month of Rabi' al-Awwal. Uh, you call it the Mawlid, people get nervous. So you just say celebrating the birth of the Prophet and then they're okay. Um, but what does that mean, really? Like uh, when we were in Al-Azhar, it's very common in, in, in that time of the year for basically you see the shiukh going around and giving lectures about the life of the Prophet in different masajid. And they might sing some songs like our brother Ibrahim sang. And that's pretty much it. It's not like some sort of... Uh, that's at least what, the parts that we saw. And it might mean different things to different people. The important thing is that we take the opportunity of the month of the birth of the Prophet to remind ourselves about him and to remind ourselves about his life and to try to send a lot of salawat on him. <coughs> of course, we do that in Rabi' al-Awwal. Uh, also, you'll see very commonly that that is done on Sunday night and on Thursday night. So around the world, you'll see the gatherings of salawat on the Prophet usually held on Sunday night and Thursday night. As you know, when we used to have a space, we, um, we used to hold Thursday night dhikr gatherings where we would do that. And then, of course, Sunday night is Sunday night, alhamdulillah. Uh, what one of the one of the scholars of our recent period said Muhammad ibn Alawi al-Maliki radiallahu ta'ala anhu He said about the idea of the Mawlid That basically anytime a group of believers come together And they learn anything about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And they remember him and they say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And they send salat of, Say salamu alaykum to him and so on and so forth Any gathering of such is a gathering of Mawlid uh, so we hope and we pray that this gathering will be a gathering wherein uh, we remember the Prophet and it's written as such. So as we had said when we first began these Sunday night classes, uh, part of what we want to do in any class is to combine between the intellectual and the devotional. So when we attend something, we don't only attend out of trying to learn something new. But we also attend out of wanting to worship, like learning is a type of worship. And especially uh, in times of great confusion, learning is a great worship actually. And when we sit in a gathering where the Prophet them is mentioned, then every time that we say them, that's a great act of worship. And uh, the Prophet them taught us that every time that we send salah upon him, that we're given 10 good deeds, and 10 bad deeds are taken away and 10 levels of our darajat are increased and uh, that Allah makes uh, pray, you know, basically ask forgiveness for us or He gives forgiveness and mercy to us subhanahu wa ta'ala and so all of that is good we're also joining in the symphony of the universe when we make salah on the Prophet sallallahu and one of the things I was thinking about on Friday is that before the message of the Prophet ﷺ, we know that he would walk around Mecca and the, the rocks would say, Salamu alaykum to him. They would say, Salamu alaykum ya Rasulullah. Salamu alaykum ya Rasulullah. So, just imagine that all of the trees bear witness to the Prophet ﷺ. And all of the birds and all of the animals, you know, like in the song when... Uh, uh, the one where it says... Uh, uh, what is it? Muhammadi, yeah, He said that the Prophet addressed the lizard, and the, the, the Bedouin was like making a joke out of it. The Prophet he said, Ask the lizard. He was like, What do you mean? So he asked him, He said, He's Rasulullah. <laughs> so everything in the universe is recognizing the Prophet. So when we do that, alhamdulillah, we join in the symphony. Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. So, Al-Mu'allif wal-Musannif ghafarallahu lahu wa'afallahu anhu wa tajawaz an sayyatihi wa satarallahu wa'ayubahu hafidhuhullahu ta'ala. He said, the collection of Imam al-Tirmidhi called the Shama'il al-Muhammadiyah is a beloved text to Muslims the world over. It is a collection of hadith reports that describe with intimacy the Blessed Prophet 
peace be upon him and his family and followers. Describes all kinds of things. We've been through this before, and I said why I wanted to summarize it. Uh, if you want to read more, as we did when we did the whole text, you can. I definitely recommend that you own in your house. You should have a copy of the Shema'il of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and you should have the copy of Imam Ghazali Institute. It's very beautiful. It's very well done. Has very good commentary. Translation is phenomenal, and uh, they really did a service to the hadith and to the descriptions of the Prophet ﷺ in that work. So if you look for Shama'il, Imam Ghazali Institute, you'll find it online. It's a little bit costly, but that's because it's really beautifully done. It's not like one of those books that we used to get when you want to study Islam. Someone brings you the book and like all the pages are stuck together. You have to take the razor blade and cut them. And like there's print mistakes and the English is really bad and all that. It's not like that. Alhamdulillah, we're in a new era now. Really beautiful books on Islam and English and beautifully done with like gold print and commentary in the sides. It's very beautiful. So you can get that inshallah and read more if you like. Uh, the numbers that are mentioned in the 40 hadith here correspond to <clears throat> the number of the hadith in the actual collection. So if you look here and then you want to read it in the actual collection, see the commentary, you can do that easily inshallah. Okay, so that brings us to hadith number one, which we're not going to do yet. I'm going to read the Senad uh, that connects myself to this text uh, by way of proper transmission. I didn't include it in the PDF, so uh, I have it here actually. One of the brothers who's here, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him and be pleased with him. He brought me a set of books one time uh, when he went on one of his travels. Uh, it was like a set of books from the Turath al-Azhar Silsilat al-Turath al-Azhar Turath al-Azhariyin And one of the books in the collection was the uh, book of Asanid of Shaykh al-Azhar Abdullah al-Shabrawi radiallahu ta'ala anhu <coughs> And so I have the copy from there and then it tells us everything we need to know Alhamdulillah so I narrate uh, this collection by general permission, not specific permission. I'm just using the general one because I, you know, the Senate is nicer, mashallah. From Sheikh Muhammad Awama, Hafidhullah, who's still alive. May Allah give him a long life and service and knowledge. On uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Siddiq bin Ghumari, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. On Sheikh Ahmed bin Rafi al Husseini and Qasim al-Tahtawi, rahimahullah. On Sheikh Al-Azhar, Shamsuddin al-Ambabi. On Sheikh Al-Islam Ibrahim Al-Bajuri, on Sheikh Hassan Al-Quwaisni, on Abi Huraira Dawood Al-Qala'i, on Ahmed Ibn Muhammad Al-Suhaymi, on Sheikh Al-Azhar Abdullah Ibn Amr Al-Shabrawi, on Sheikh Ahmed Al-Khalifi, on Shihab Al-Bishbishi, on Sultan Al-Muzahi, on Salim Al-Sanhuri, on Najm Al-Ghayti, on Al-Qadi Sheikh Al-Islam Zakari Al-Ansari, Rahimahumullahu Ajma'in, on Abu Al-Fatih Al-Madani, on Abu Al-Fadl, Abdul Rahim al-Iraqi, an Abdullah bin al-Khudbaz, an Ahmed bin Abdullah al-Dayim, an Abu Shuja' al-Bistami, an An Abu Qasim al-Khuzai, an Abu Sa'id al-Haytham al-Shashi, an al-Hafiz al-Tirmidhi bi-asanidhi ila Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on all of them and yumidduna min madidihim. So that brings us to hadith number one And inshallah We will do that Right after Maghrib prayer Which I believe just came in, right? Did it just come in? Alhamdulillah, good timing So we'll break from Maghrib uh, Someone can make adhan Maybe Zawar is our resident mu'adhan And then uh, after that inshallah we'll pray And then we'll begin the collection Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So, I think I'm not going to read the Arabic, especially of the longer ones, because I don't want to lose you guys. Uh, so I'm just going to read the English, inshallah. But if anyone wants to reference the Arabic, you can read the Arabic there. I prefer the Arabic, of course. 
but if it's between the Arabic and what makes you happy, we'll go with what makes you happy. So, Bismillah. Hadith number one. Sayyidina Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu reported. When we covered the Shema'il in the Zoom sessions, one of the things that I had mentioned that I noticed while we were covering it was that when you, when you read in the Shema'il, you realize that these are intimate descriptions of the Prophet them, right? And what you notice is that so many of the descriptions are coming from either the wives of the Prophet them, or from the people in his family or the people in his household, like uh, maybe Sayyidina Anas, who served him so you're getting like subhanAllah the benefit of uh, you're getting really uh, it's different than the narrations that we get for like the Prophet when he gives the Eid prayer for example we're getting stuff that's really close so Sayyidina Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, the grandson of the Prophet وسلم, reported, I asked my maternal uncle Hind ibn Abi Hala, who was skilled in describing features, about the beautiful description of the Messenger of God. This beginning we're going to see a number of times. There's three or four narrations that are longer, all of them that are very, very detailed, that begin with Hassan ibn Ali narrating from Hind ibn Abi Hala, or Hassan ibn Ali talking about the narration from Hind ibn Abi Hala and then narrating from Al-Husayn radiallahu ta'ala anhuma wa karramallahu wajha abihima wa alayhima salam yes even Ahl sunnah many scholars from Ahl sunnah said alayhi salam after the name of Sayyidina Ali and after the names of Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn radiallahu ta'ala anhum don't freak out we have a problem, you know, as a community, we've gone over this before. Anything that we're not accustomed to makes us nervous. Maybe there's something good in that, in the sense that, of course, we have to like think about what we're being taught and be critical at some level and so on. But uh, not everything is like, oh my God. There's a lot of things that we were taught, by the way, that are totally not right. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with one of them this week. Now you got me off on it. I got myself off on a tangent. Poor Ismail. Allah be pleased with him and protect him. He's going to school and the kids keep trying to touch their feet to his feet during Salah. You know? I don't know if I mentioned this last week. So we had to have a conversation on the way to school about like how do we know what our religion is? Who are the four Imams? Who has a right to have an opinion? Who doesn't have a right to have an opinion? So on and so forth. We had to have a conversation about how none of the four imams, as far as I know, none of the four madhabs say that you should be touching your feet to your feet in salat. This thing that like everyone got really passionate about, none of the four madhabs. Makes you crazy. Like at least give me one opinion. The moving the finger like endlessly during tashahud, none of the four madhabs. Like, just be easy on us. So, Hassan al Hussein, alayhi wasalam. Hassan ibn Ali reported from the Messenger of God, وسلم, he asked a Hind ibn Abi Hala, I desired for him to describe some of his features to me so I could hold tight to them. It's a beautiful expression, actually. He said, I asked him to describe, an yasifa li min shay'an so he's saying, I went to him so that I can ask him. Like, atalakubi is like, you're holding on to something, you're hanging from it. So he says, I went to him and I asked him to give me these descriptions of the Prophet so that I could hold on to them, right? He said, the Messenger of God, was magnificent in himself and was magnificent in the eyes of others. His face shone like the light of the full moon on a moonlit night. He was taller than a man of average height, yet shorter than an extremely tall man. His head was large and his hair was wavy. If the hair on the front of his blessed head parted easily, he would part it. And if it did not, he would leave it as it was. Yeah, like if it parted, he would part it. If It wasn't like going to spend a lot of time in it. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
When he would leave his blessed hair, وسلم, it would fall past his earlobes. Some narrations say past his earlobes, some narrations say down to his shoulder, depending on the time, of course. His complexion was fair and luminous. His forehead was wide. His eyebrows were arched, thin, long, and full, perfectly shaped without connecting. Between them was a vein that anger would cause to pulsate. Some of you may have seen that with some of your family members. The little vein that comes right here and pulse, pulsates when they get angry. Allah help us. His nose was prominent, long with a thin tip and, slight, and a slight curvature in the middle. It was aquiline. A light rose from it. One who did not look closely at him would think that it was raised high and straight with the tip of the nose slightly prominent. His beard was full and dense. His cheeks were smooth. His mouth was wide, and between his front teeth was a slight space. A thin line of hair ran from his chest to his navel. His neck was like that of an ivory statue, as resplendent as silver. His physique was evenly proportioned. He was well built and firm, and his chest and stomach were even with each other. His chest and shoulders were broad, and his joints were proportionately large. His limbs that were unclothed shone brightly. Besides the thin line of hair that ran from his upper chest to his navel, neither his breast nor his stomach had hair. His arms, shoulders, and upper chest, however, had hair. He had long forearms and wide palms, and full-fleshed, sturdy hands and feet. His fingers and toes were long and well-proportioned, and he had a slight arch in the soles of his feet. His feet were smooth such that water could run off them. When he walked, he would lift his feet with vigor and would lead forward slightly and would tread lightly. He had a naturally long stride, and when walking, it was as if he was walking downhill. When he would turn, he would turn with his whole body. He would lower his gaze, looking at the ground more than the sky. Most of his looking was from the corner of his eye. He would have his companions walk in front of him, and would initiate greetings of peace with whomever he met. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Bi abi anti, bi abi anta wa ummi ya Rasulullah. There's too much there. If you say anything, it takes away from it. That's like one of those ones you just sit with it, read it over and over again. Imagine the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hadith number two. Bi asanidina al mutasina ila sahiban al kitab. Kala hadathana hanad ibn Sari. Kala hadathana abthar ibn Qasim. An ashaath yani ibn Sawar. An abi ashaq. An jabir ibn Samura. Kala raaitu Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam fi laylati idhiyan. Wa alayhi hullatun hamra. Fajaltu anvuru ilayhi wa ilan qamari. Jabir ibn Samura reported Jabir ibn Samura reported I saw the Messenger of God on a completely moonlit night. He was wearing two red garments. I began to look at him and then look at the moon. And by God, He وسلم, was in my eyes more beautiful than the moon. Hadith number three Qala Hadatana Qutayba ibn Qutayba Qala Hadatana Ja'far ibn Sulaiman ibn Dabai and Malik ibn Dinar Qala Mashabi'a Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min khubzin qat wallahmin. Malik ibn Dinar reported the Messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Let me make this so I have to have to scroll it less. Malik ibn Dinar reported that the Messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never ate his fill of either bread or meat unless he was eating with other people. So this is how you do it. All the diets, all of the fads. 
There is the diet of the Prophet which is eat very little, don't eat things that are really complicated, eat things that are really simple, and eat really small amounts, and never eat to your fill unless you're with people and you want to make them happy. That's basically the Prophet's diet. Never ate his fill of either bread or meat unless he was eating with other people. Hadith number four. قَالَ حَدَثَنَا قُتَيْبِنِ بُنْ سَعِيدِ قَالَ حَدَثَنَا إِبْنُ نَهِيَعَ عَنَ أَبِي يُونَسِ عَنَ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ قَالَ مَا رَأَيْتُ شَيْئًا أَحْسَنْ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَأَنَّ الشَّمْسَ تَجْرِي فِي وَجْهِهِ وَمَا رَأَيْتُ أَحَدًا أَسْرَعَ فِي مِشْيَتِهِ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَأَنَّمَا الْأَرْضُ تُتْوَالَهُ إِنَّا لَنُجْهِدُ أَنفُسَنَا وَإِنَّهُ لَغَيْرُ مُكْتَرِثُ Abu Hurairah reported that the Prophet, I never saw anything more beautiful than the Messenger of God It was as if the sun flowed from his face I never saw anyone who walked faster than the Messenger of God It was as if the earth folded itself up for him We would tire ourselves and he would be walking normally Uh, perhaps here it's important to mention in the other hadith it's important to mention as well that not all of the hadith that Imam Tirmidhi includes in the Shama'ad of the Prophet are considered to be Sahih rigorously authenticated. The question we should ask ourselves is is that actually a problem? Or is it similar to moving your finger up and down over and over and over again into shahud. The reality is, it's very similar to moving your finger up and down over and over and over and over again into shahud. What I mean by that is, Imam al-Tirmidhi, believe it or not, the sahib al-Sunan, Sunan al-Tirmidhi, one of the six narrators of the collections of hadith, one of the greatest hadith scholars of all time, believe it or not, he knew what to include in his book. And he knew the level of authentication according to his field so for me if he decided to include it in his text that is sufficient for me that is sufficient for me people say oh this and that look even Bukhari himself Bukhari right with all his authenticity and his seriousness and authentication and so on he has a sahih of course you know, he has other books, right? Like one of the other famous hadith books or other books of Imam al-Bukhari is Adab al-Mufrad. An Adab al-Mufrad. An Adab al-Mufrad is a small book of narrations that deal with manners. Not everything that al-Bukhari put in al-Adab al-Mufrad is considered sahih. Shouldn't that be enough to think about like the whole enterprise of like it has to be Absolutely, it has to be authentic sahih. Otherwise, we're throwing it out. We don't care about it at all. No, like, that wasn't what the scholars did. Not even the hadith scholars. They didn't even do that. So, some of these narrations, why I'm saying it is because, like, when you read books, you always see in the takhrij of the hadith, uh, Ibn Ulahiyya, they'll say he's, he's weak. He's not relied upon in transmission. Like, he's, he's not super strong in his narration. So, he came up in this, in this narration. Doesn't mean that, like, what is, the, what is the enterprise of hadith authentication? The enterprise of it is trying to know, trying to estimate with how much probability do we believe that this thing is actually from the Prophet Right? So if you have a description that goes in line with everything that we know about the Prophet that's supported by a number of narrations, that's supported by a number of statements of the companions, that's supported by other narrations that are stronger and so on and so forth, then isn't it reasonable to include that even if it's, its personal chain of narration maybe isn't as strong as something else? It's reasonable. Still believe. So Imam Tirmidhi thought that this was a reasonable enough description of the Prophet And personally, that's good enough for me. All I'm saying this for is because if you come across, like you might come across commentaries on the Shema and you might come across things about the Shema and you might see this hadith and be like, oh, this hadith was weak. The Prophet, don't worry, we still believe that the Prophet 
When you looked at his face, it was as if the sun was shining from his face. It's still true. And that this narration, this stuff about, you know, he would walk really fast, so on and so forth. We saw it even in the narration before, right? That it was as if the earth, this, this one says it, that the, it's as if the earth was folded up for him. When he would walk, he would walk very fast. One of the things I think that we can take from this is that the Prophet had a purpose. He's going somewhere, he's going somewhere. In the narration before it, when he's sitting with someone and he speaks to the person, he'll turn and face them entirely. So this is what he's doing right now. We'll see other narrations. Someone comes to him and says, I need something from you. You say, go anywhere in Medina, sit down and I'll talk to you. There's, there's a purpose here. When he's walking, there's a purpose here. So he knows what he's about. There's many things you could take. I'm actually hesitant to give any comments because like, they're so beautiful in and of themselves. ومحمد بن بشار قال حدثنا محمد بن جعفر قال حدثنا شعبة عن أبي إسحاق قال سمعت عبد الرحمن بن يزيد يحدث عن الأسود بن يزيد عن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها أنها قالت ما شبع آل محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم من خبز الشعير يومين متتابعين حتى قبض رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم سيدة عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها she reported that the family of Muhammad وسلم, never ate their fill of barley bread two days in a row up until the soul of the Messenger of God وسلم, was taken. So part of also you take from this that, that it wasn't the Prophet وسلم, by himself. This was a family affair. The family, she says, the family of Muhammad وسلم, didn't have their fill of barley bread two days in a row until the soul of the Prophet ﷺ was taken. Some people, you know, when we don't want to do something, sometimes we come up with interesting rationalizations. We'll be like, well, you know, they were living in the desert, and they were going through hardship. That's true. They did go through hardship. But they also won a lot of battles, especially at the later period of Medina. They won a lot of battles. Things were kind of stable. Even one of the other narrations will come to. The Prophet ﷺ goes out at night. Abu Bakr comes out at night. He finds him. Sayyidina Umar comes out at night. They say, Sayyidina Umar, what brought you out? He says, I came out because I'm hungry. He says, okay, let's go to so-and-so's house. So-and-so had a lot of palm trees and a lot of sheep and a lot. Some people had a lot of things. It wasn't like nobody had anything. Okay, it's important to understand this. This was a deliberate choice of the Prophet ﷺ. May Allah forgive me. Allah forgive me, I eat too much food. Allah forgive me. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Qala hadathana Abdullah ibn Sabbah al-Hashimi al-Basri Qala hadathana Abdul A'la an Ma'amar an Hisham ibn Urwa an Abihi an Umar ibn Abi Salama annahu dakhla ala Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa indahu ta'am faqala udnu ya bunay fasammillaha ta'ala wa kul biyaminak Umar ibn Abi Salama went to the Messenger of God وسلم, who had some food with him. So it says the Prophet, this, this young man came to the Prophet وسلم, and the Prophet had some food. You see this up to today in the culture of a lot of Muslims, right? Like you'll see them kind of shy to eat in front of other people. And if someone sees them eating, then they offer them food. And it becomes like this whole, everyone offering everyone food. And like, no, you have to eat it. Like the whole thing goes on. It's actually a good thing. Right? You have some food, you want to share it. That's nice. So the Prophet ﷺ, this boy comes in and the Prophet is eating. So he told him, my son. He said to him, come close, dear son. Mention God's name. Eat with your right hand. And eat from what is closest to you. So what happens in this? I want us to think about something. It's, it's difficult for us. It's difficult for us. Because the nature of the life that we live makes it difficult. Meaning, like we come because there's a lecture. If we said we're just going to come and we're going to sit here from like 5 o'clock and some people are going to bring some food, some people are just going to hang out, maybe a couple people will come. By the way, we're usually here from 4.30 or 5 o'clock. Maybe a couple people will come, 
Most people come when it's lecture time, right? There's things that we learn, of course, from lecture time. We learn about the Prophet and so on. But actually, like, especially if we're talking about community, especially if we're talking about families, if we're talking about raising generations, then there's a lot of things that we learn when we're together. So how did the Prophet teach this boy this lesson? How did this relationship occur? He comes in, the boy comes, the Prophet says, Ya Bunay. Ya Bunay is like a very endearing term. It's not Ya Walad. Ya Walad is like, you know, get over here. But Ya Bunay is like, you know, it's, it's very endearing. It's very... Uh, and so he tells him, you know, come, sit close, say the name of Allah, eat with your right hand and eat what's close to you. So he teaches him the etiquette of how to do that, right? Historically, you know, even in American culture, there are very strict rules around table manners. You know, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of things. I'm, I'm not free of this. But historically, in American culture, there are very strict rules around table manners. Very strict rules. Food is presented, everyone sits at the table, the table is set in a particular way, you say, you say grace, you make dua before you eat, you are grateful, you together, you pass the food, you don't reach across. What is, eat from what's close to you, what is it saying? Don't reach across, right? So if the thing is far, you ask someone to pass it, they pass it to you, you take some, so on and so forth. All of these table manners are important. We, we came into this like uh, postmodern disaster where we want to get rid of all manners because all manners is like somehow a restriction on us. You know, don't tell me what to do. Okay, just throw away everything. <laughs> don't we won't tell you what to do. But actually, after this, we're going to do Imam Ghazali's passage on table matters. <laughs> It'll be the next Sunday class, inshallah. Um, but this, these things are important. Islam is not just rules. Right? This is not just because you want some rules. It's not about the rules. It's that the etiquettes of how we deal with each other, how we interact with each other, the rules that are there, they're repositories for civilization. And the way of the Prophet built civilization. Built civilization across all kinds of times and places. So when we care about the rule, it's not just to be like, oh, this is the rule. No, it's because this is how we... we this is, how, this is how we are in the world. How we want our world to look like. We want our world to look like people know how to sit with each other. They know how to speak with each other. They know how to interact at the table. They know how to have etiquette with someone who's older than them. They know how to be gentle with someone who's younger than them. They know how to get along with each other. Right? So really important things. Otherwise you just end up like a bunch of people yelling at each other. And you did this and you did that. And you know, insert critique on extreme cancel culture. Hadith number seven. Notice I said extreme cancel culture. Hadith number seven, beautiful hadith. Qala hadathana Qutayb ibn Sa'id an Malik ibn Anas. Ha means there's tahwil. Uh, there's two angles that the narration is coming to. Qala hadathana Ishaq ibn Musa. Qala hadathana Ma'an. Qala hadathana Malik an Suhail ibn Abi Salih an Abihi an Abi Hurayra radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. Qala kan al-nasu idha ra'u أول الثمر جاءوا به إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فإذا أخذه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال اللهم بارك لنا في ثمارنا وبارك لنا في مدينتنا وبارك لنا في ساعنا وفي مدنا اللهم إن إبراهيم عبدك وخليلك ونبيك وإني عبدك ونبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم so وإنه دعاك لمكة وإني أدعوك للمدينة بمثل ما دعاك به لمكة ومثله معه قال ثم يدعو أصغر وليدا يراه فيعطيه ذلك الثمر أبو هريرة reported رضي الله تعالى عنه the following again I want you to consider how they live with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم أبو هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه reported when people would see the new fruits of the harvest they're in Medina, they have harvest, right? They would see the fruits of the harvest, they would bring them to the Messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
When the Messenger of God وسلم, would take the fruit, he would pray, O oh God, bless our fruit, bless our Medina, and bless our scales. O oh God, verily Ibrahim is your servant and your intimate friend and your prophet. And I am your servant and your prophet. He prayed to you for Mecca, and I prayed to you for Medina, with the likes of which he prayed to you regarding Mecca, and the likes thereof along with it. Then he would call for the youngest child he saw, and give him some of that fruit. He would call for the youngest child that he saw, and give him some of that fruit. See this? It's really beautiful. Right? So they bring him the fruit. He makes the dua. It's a bit, it's an event, right? Like we, the harvest is here. This is our lifeline. So they bring it to him, and he he he'll see it. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He make dua, and after he makes dua, he'll ask for the youngest person that he sees. He asks for the youngest person that he sees. Call them, and give them that fruit. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Hadith number eight. Mm. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah reported, Khalid ibn al-Wadid and I went along with the Messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as he went to see Maymuna radiallahu anha. She brought us a vessel full of milk. The Messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam drank from it. I was on his right side. Who's on his right side? Ibn Abbas. I was on his right side. Ibn Abbas, in order to fully understand the narration properly, Ibn Abbas was how old when the Prophet ﷺ died? 12, 13, 14, 12, 13, 14 in this range. 12, 13, 14. Okay? So he's very young. And he's with Khalid ibn Walid, who's obviously older, right? Khalid al-Mulid is the general, he fought all these battles, so on and so forth. So he's going and he's uh, with the Prophet Sallallahu with Khalid. Prophet drinks from the drink. Ibn Abbas said, I was on his right side and Khalid was on his left. When you drink from something, you pass it, which direction do you pass it? To the right. So he said to me, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the drink is yours, but if you want, you can give preference to Khalid. Okay, it's an important concept actually. Saying by right, you're on, by right, like haq, you're on the right, as in the yameen. <laughs> by right, you're on the right. So it's 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 your right. It's your whatever the word is. It's for you to drink, right? But if you want, you can let him take it because he's older, right? So what is this? This is important because sometimes we recognize that. What is, this te- what is this teaching? Teaching that there are rights and there, are, there is hierarchy and there are rules. So there's a hierarchy in the sense that Khalid is the older person. But there's a right because this is the order that you would normally drink in. So the Prophet ﷺ goes to give the drink to Ibn Abbas and he says, this is your haq. But if you want, you can give it up for Khalid. If you want, he's older, you can be polite with him. So Ibn Abbas says what? I would not give up your leftovers for anyone. <laughs> he says, no, I'm not. Sorry. Not today. Like if it was someone else, yeah, I'd let him. But you just drank from that, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I'm going to drink from that. <laughs> I'm taking, today is the day I'm exercising my haq. So he says, I would not give up your leftovers for anyone. The messenger of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, he didn't say anything. He didn't like critique him. Say, oh... That's your uncle, you should give him up. Why don't you have some adab? He didn't say any of these things. That's his haq. So he didn't say anything. He said, the one, who's from whom, the one whom God gives food should say, Allahumma, barik lana fi wa at'imna khayran min. Allahumma, barik lana fi wa at'imna khayran min. The one whom Allah gives food to, they should make the dua. Oh Allah, bless us in this food and give us better than it. Give us better than it. And the one to whom God gives a drink of milk, milk in particular, should say, Allahumma barik lana fi wa zidna min. Allahumma barik lana fi wa zidna min. O Allah, bless us in it and increase us in it. 
And the food you say give us better than it, and the milk increase us in it. Then he said that the Messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, said, There is nothing that takes the place of food and drink besides milk. There's nothing that takes the place of food and drink besides milk. Is that the milk that we buy in the store? You can look into that one yourself. But definitely they weren't drinking the milk that we're drinking in the store. It was like the animals there, you get the milk, you drink the milk. Maybe that, you know, it's different than what we're accustomed to. But certainly is different also, seems likely to be different also in its <coughs> nutritional value and benefit. Hassan ibn Ali reported, hadith number nine. Hassan ibn Ali reported. So again, we have Hassan. Uh, this one's really beautiful. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We want the shamad to enter our hearts. Make a lot of salawat on the Prophet. We don't want it to just enter our minds, we want it to enter our hearts. The very first time I was teaching the Burda, it was like five years ago now. I reached out to, or I happened to be speaking to one of our teachers. And I asked him his advice. And he said, before you go teach your class, say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad 500 times. That was his advice. It wasn't like, use this book or use that book or whatever. It's like, before you go teach about the Prophet wasallam, make a lot of salawat. It's a purification for the hearts. Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu anhu reported, I asked my maternal uncle Hind ibn Abi Hala, who was skilled in describing features, to describe for me the speech of the Messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, the Messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was in a constant state of concern, always deep in thought. Mutawasulun ahzan da'imul fikra. In a constant state of concern, always deep in thought. He had no rest. How should I say this without getting in trouble? Uh, I believe in self care. Okay, I do. He had no rest, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would remain silent for long periods of time and would not speak without need. He would begin and end his speech by mentioning the name of God, most exalted. Talked about this before. I think last class, Imam Dardiv's paper. You know when you get around people and like the only thing they ever do, I'm not talking about in like a class. All they do is like lecture you about the Prophet or like the Hadith or you should do this, you shouldn't do that, so on and so forth. The Prophet didn't do that. Like, I want you to think about that. <laughs> like, the Prophet himself didn't do that. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No one says, like, we were sitting with the Prophet and he gave us a never-ending khatirah every single time we saw him. We're going to see the other narrations. He's going to say, what can I... I sat with the Prophet over a hundred times. This is how he was, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. None of them and all of this are going to say that. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would remain silent for long periods of time and would not speak without need. He would begin and end his speech by mentioning the name of God most exalted. His speech was concise yet comprehensive. His words were distinguished, neither too much nor too few. He was neither coarse nor demeaning. He honored blessings even if they were small. And he never found fault with any of them. Though he would never find fault with nor praise the taste of food or drink. Again, in Arabic, it's so beautiful. It says that he was. Um, 
He would like, even if the blessing was really small, he'd make it big. Also really amazing in this description is that he was neither coarse nor demeaning. For some reason, every time I read it in English, it doesn't stick with me. But in Arabic, it really sticks. It says that he was Laysa bin Jafi walan muheen. His way, his way of speech, Laysa bin Jafi walan muheen. That he didn't speak to people in a way that would humiliate them. You know? It wasn't demeaning in the way that he would speak. The lower world did not anger him, nor did anything of its affairs. So the dunya was not like, he didn't get upset about the dunya. It's not significant enough to get upset about it. Imam Zaid always says, you know, it's just another day in the dunya. It's just another day in the dunya. Sometimes it gives you this, sometimes it gives you that. In the end, it's all dunya. It's not significant. It's only significant insofar as it leads to the pleasure of Allah. If the truth was transgressed against, nothing would quiet his anger until he had sought justice for it. His ghadab, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He had ghadab, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If the truth was transgressed against, nothing could quiet his anger until he sought justice. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I keep losing my place. I should do what some of the shuyukh do. Take out the pen and point to it. Uh, he would never become angry for his own sake or seek to avenge himself. It's never personal. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's never personal. When he would point at something, he would point with his whole hand. Not his finger, his whole hand. When he was amazed by something, he would turn his hand over. He would gesture with his hand while speaking and strike the inside of his left thumb with his right palm. When he was angry, he would turn away. When he was angry, he would turn away. Turn away. When he was delighted, he would lower his gaze. His laughter was mostly smiles, and when he would laugh, it was as though something like hailstones appeared. And the light that would come from his mouth, from the whiteness of his teeth, and from just his nur, it would look like hailstones were there. It's another one of those hadith, it's, it's like too much actually. <laughs> you really feel like it's very overwhelming. And you know, part of the reason again why I wanted to do the collection like this is because you can read it regularly. Like if you were to read without any break, any comments from people, then you can read it very fast. You read it and read it again and read it again and read it again. You can read it every week until these things become like ingrained in us. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. قال حدثنا أحمد بن منيع قال حدثنا معاوية بن عمر قال حدثنا زائدة عن إسماعيل بن أبي خالد عن قيس بن أبي حازم عن جرير بن عبد الله قال ما حجبني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ولا رآني منذ أسلمت إلا تبسم صلى الله عليه وسلم جرير بن عبد الله reported that from the time I embraced Islam from the time I embraced Islam the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam did not prevent me from seeing him, nor did he see me except that he would smile. So from the time I accepted Islam, any time I wanted to see him, I saw him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Every time I wanted to see him, he saw him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he didn't see me except that he would smile sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Hadith number 11. Also a fan favorite, hadith of the Prophet Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu reported, there was a man from the Bedouins named Zahir, named Zahir, who would gift the Prophet things from the desert, and the Prophet would give him supplies when he wanted to leave. So this man who's from the desert, he would come to the city, he would bring the Prophet things from the desert. When he wanted to leave the city, the Prophet would he would give him whatever he needed to leave. The Prophet said of him, Zahir is our companion of the desert, and we are his companion of the city. 
Can you imagine the prophet size on them saying that about you? Zahir Badiatuna. Wanahnu Hadiruhu. Hadiruhu. Like he's what it said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam loved him dearly. Zahir was an unsightly man. It's a very polite way of saying that he was unsightly. <laughs> and one day the Prophet ﷺ approached him as he was selling his wares in the marketplace. He went behind Zahir and embraced him while Zahir was unable to see who it was. He cried out, <clears throat> Who are you? Let me go. He looked back and saw that it was the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he let himself be held to the Prophet's chest. Imagine it, right? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam grabs him from behind. He can't see who it is. He says, Who are you? Let me go. He's like resisting, right? He turns back. He sees that it's the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he let himself be held by the Prophet ﷺ, held to his chest. The Prophet ﷺ began to call out, Who will purchase this slave? Zahir said, O Messenger of God, in that case, by God, you will find that I am valueless. So he said, I have this man, right? He's not so handsome. So when the Prophet ﷺ calls out who's going to buy him, he says, you know, I'm not going to be worth anything. So the Prophet ﷺ said, in the sight of God, you are not valueless. Or he said, ﷺ, in the sight of God, you are valuable. In the sight of God, you are valuable. Why is he valuable? Because the Prophet ﷺ loved him. It's because of like how many people looked at him, how many people liked his photo after all the filters. So like now it's like the Prophet, you know, who would like to buy this man? Add all the filters. I'm now valuable. Ya Rasulullah there's none of that. It's very important. Like, if you seek something in the wrong place, you can't find it. A lot of things in our in our our existence now, you seek something in the wrong place, you can't find it. Seek knowledge in the wrong place, you're not going to find it. Seek spirituality in the wrong place, you're not going to find it. Like Muslims now, I feel like we're so obsessed with New Age spirituality. Like, you know, this thing and that thing and these words and all this stuff. These trainings on whatever. Seek something in the wrong place, you're not going to find it. Seek worth in the wrong place, you're not going to find it. And until we can stop long enough to look at ourselves, we won't find it. You know, like the constant, this thing, the next 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 thing. Where there's no time to actually look and say like, okay, why do I feel the way that I feel? Why do I think the way that I think? Where do I find value? Where do I find worth? How can I address this? I have to go to the right place. Hadith number 12. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Here it is. Qala hadathana Ali ibn Hujr. Qala hadathana Shuraik. Al-Sharif. An Simak ibn Harb. An Jabir ibn Samura. Qala jalastu al-Nabiyya sallallahu alaihi wasallam. أَكْثَرَ مِنْ مِئَةِ مَرَّةِ Man, he'd be able to say that. جَالَسْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ أَكْثَرَ مِنْ مِئَةِ مَرَّةِ وَكَانَ أَصْحَابُهُ يَتَنَاشَدُونَ الشِّعْرَ وَيَتَذَاكَرُونَ أَشْيَاءَ مِنْ أَمْرٍ جَاهِلِيَّ وَهُوَ سَاكِتٌ وَرُبَّمَا تَبَسَّمَ مَعَهُمْ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ Jabir ibn Samura I sat with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Over a hundred times Over a hundred times 
His companions would recite poetry in his presence and recall events that took place in the period of ignorance, jahiliyyah. He would remain silent and perhaps smile with them. Look at this description. Really, we have to think. This is the standard. This is the standard. A hundred times. He said, over a hundred times I sat with him, sallam. What would the people do? Some would recite poetry. They would remember jahiliyyah. Think about it. They would remember jahiliyyah. <laughs> remember when this happened and that happened. They're basically like... So-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. It's not necessarily bad things, right? Like not every... Not every story has to be bad. Even if it was a bad story, you don't have to tell it in a bad way, right? What they tell stories, they whatever. The Prophet them would just be quiet. Sometimes he would smile. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hadith number 13. And we'll stop on this one, inshallah. Hadith number 13 Qala hadathana Mahmud ibn Ghailan Qala hadathana Abdul Razak Qala hadathana Sufyan An Abdul Malik ibn Umair An Rabi'i ibn Hirash An Hudayfa radiyallahu an Qala kana nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ida awa ila firashihi Qala Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya Wa ida staykada Qala alhamdulillahi Nadi ahyana Fa'adama amatana Wa ilayhi al-nushur Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Hudayfa reported when the Prophet would go to his bed, he would say, O God, in your name I die and I live. And when he would wake up, he would say, All praises due to God who has brought us to life after causing us to die, and unto him is the ultimate return. So he would go to bed, he'd say, Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya. Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya. Oh Allah, in your name, I die and I live. When you go to bed. What does all this die talk about sleep time? When we fall asleep, when we go to sleep, it's called the wafat al-sughra. It's called the minor death. It's the minor death because the soul leaves the body and goes wherever it goes soul leaves the body and goes wherever it goes. Might meet with other souls, it might it does whatever it does. Right? And when we awaken, soul comes back to the body, we go back to whatever, whatever however we are normally. So when he goes to sleep, he says, Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya. In your name, Allah, I die and I awaken. Sometimes like the statement of the Prophet is so simply profound and true. Right? Like it's really simply profound and true. I live I die and I live by you, Allah. Like right now, I live. Maybe in the next moment I die. Whatever it is, it's with you, Allah. Whatever it is. Tomorrow, the next day, whatever, like tonight. You know? Jaddidul Ahd. Should always renew our ahad, renew our covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't know. We don't know. And when he wakes up, he would say, Alhamdulillah, Ladi, Ahyana Badam, Badama Amatana wa ilayhi nushur. Alhamdulillah, all praises due to Allah who gave us life after death. And to him is the return. So to him is the rising, is the return. So it's important, these are important du'as. Very simple but very powerful. اللهم صل وسلم وزد وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم. Oh Allah, we ask you by the blessing of this month and by the blessing of this night and by the blessing of this gathering, by the blessing of the hearts of those who are present and by the blessings of our teachers and our ancestors who have worshipped you. Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings. O oh Allah, forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings, except from us our deeds. Allah, we ask you love of the Prophet ﷺ, a true love that is deep in our hearts, a love that will carry us when we meet you, Ya Allah. We ask you, Allah, a true and deep knowledge of the Prophet ﷺ and the ability to follow it in our lives. 
We ask you, Allah, that you purify our hearts and our souls from that which prevents us from coming to you. And that you fill us with that which enables us to know you and to know your Prophet. We ask you, Allah, to be with us in everything that we do. We ask you, Allah, to protect our loved ones, to protect our families, to protect our children. We ask you for tawfiq, Allah, enabling grace. We ask you for the ability to do good. <clears throat> the doing of good, the leaving of bad, and the love of the poor, we ask of you, Ya Allah. Allah, we ask you to make us sincere for you alone, and to help us to be alone with you, and to be uh, reflective in our relationship with you. We ask you, Allah, to give us guidance on everything that we do, and to fill our hearts with your remembrance, and to fill our lives with the connection to those who love you. Allah, there are, there are those from our community who are sick right now, we ask you to give them shifa. There are those in our community who have family members who have passed away, we ask you Allah to forgive them. We ask you Allah to heal them, uh, complete healing by the blessing of the Prophet We ask you Allah and we turn towards you and we seek your forgiveness and we worship you and we ask of you and you alone, Ya Allah. Give us what we need, not only what we think we need. Guide us to what is good for us, regardless of whether or not we realize it. And help us to not betray the way of those who have come before us. Allahumma ameen wa sallallahu wa sallam ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa akhiru da'wana.